Chapter Five of the Gorilla Hunters by R. M. Ballantyne. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Adele de Pinurales. Chapter Five: Preparations for a Grand Hunt. All was bustle, noise, and activity in the village, or, more correctly speaking, in the native town of His Majesty King Jambai, early in the morning after our arrival. A great elephant hunt had been resolved upon. The hunters were brushing up their spears and old guns, all of which latter were flintlocks that had been procured from traders, and were not worth more than a few shillings. The women were busy preparing breakfast, and the children were playing around their huts. These huts were of the simplest construction, made of bamboo, roofed with large palm leaves, and open in front. The wants of savages are generally few. Their household furniture is very plain, and there is little of it. A large hut near to that of his sable majesty had been set apart for the trader and his party during our residence in the town. In this we had spent the night as pleasantly as we could, but the mosquitoes kept up an unceasing warfare upon us, so that the daylight was welcomed gladly when it came. On going to the hut of King Jambai, who had invited us to breakfast with him, we found the Princess Oninga alone, seated in the king's armchair and smoking her pipe with uncommon gusto. She had spent the early part of the morning in preparing breakfast for her father and ourselves, and was now resting from her labors. "'You are early astir, Princess Aninga,' said the trader, as we entered and took our seats around the fire, for at that hour the air felt chilly. The princess took her pipe from her lips and admitted that she was, blowing a long, thin cloud of smoke into the air with a sigh of satisfaction. "'We are ready for breakfast,' added the trader. Is the king at home? He is in the woods, but will be back quickly. With this remark the princess rose, and, knocking the ashes out of her pipe, left the tent. Upon my word, she's a cool beauty, said Peterkin. I should rather say a black one, remarked Jack. Perhaps an odd one would be the most appropriate term, said I. Did you ever see such a headdress? The manner in which the Princess Oninga had seen fit to dress her head was indeed peculiar, I may say ludicrous. Her woolly hair had been arranged in the form of a cocked hat, with a horn projecting in front, and at a distance off it might have easily been mistaken for the headpiece of a general officer, minus the feathers. There was little in the way of artificial ornament about it, but the Princess wore a number of heavy brass rings on her arms and ankles. Those on the latter reached halfway up to her knees and they were so heavy that her walk was little better than a clumsy waddle. Before we could pass further comment on her appearance, King Jambai appeared, and saluted us by each taking us separately and rubbing noses with us. This done, he ordered in breakfast, which consisted of roast and boiled plantains, ground nuts, roast fowl, and roast pig. So we fell to at once, and being exceedingly hungry after our long walk of the day before, made a hearty meal. "'Now, sir,' said Jack, when our repast was about concluded, "'as you are going to leave us soon, "'you had better arrange with the king about getting us an interpreter "'and supplying us with a few men to carry our goods. "'I think you said there was once a man in the tribe who spoke a little English. "'Have you found out whether he is alive?' "'Yes, I have heard that he is alive and well, "'and is expected in every day from a hunting expedition. 
He is a splendid hunter and a capital fellow. His name is Makaruru, and if you get him, you will be fortunate. Then ask his black majesty, said Peterkin, as quick as you please, for to say truth, I'm rather anxious on this point. I feel that we should never get on without a good interpreter. To our satisfaction we found that the king was quite willing to do all that we wished, and a good deal more. In fact, we soon perceived that he felt highly honoured by our visit, and had boasted not a little of his white men to the chiefs of neighbouring tribes, some of whom had come a considerable distance to see us. "'You have made quite a contest, gentlemen, of worthy Jambai,' said the trader, after translating the king's favourable reply. "'The fact is, he is pleased with the liberality you have shown towards him in the way of gifts, and is proud of the confidence you have placed in him. Had you been bent on a trading expedition, he would have opposed your further progress, but knowing that you are simply hunters, he is anxious to assist you by all the means at his command. He is surprised, indeed, at your taking so much trouble and coming so far, merely to kill wild animals, for he cannot understand the idea of sporting. He himself hunts for the sake of procuring meat." "'Can he not understand,' said Peterkin, "'that we hunt for fun?' "'No, he don't quite see through that. "'He said to me a few minutes ago, "'Have these men no meat at home, "'that they come all this long way to get it?' "'I told him that you had plenty, "'and then endeavoured to explain your idea of hunting for fun. "'But he shook his head, and I think he does not believe you.' "'At this point in our conversation, "'the king rose and gave the signal "'to set out on a hunting expedition.' Instantly the whole population of the town turned out and rushed to the banks of the river, near which it stood, where canoes were prepared for us. Suddenly there arose a great shout, and the name Makaruru, Makaruru, passed from mouth to mouth. Presently a fine, tall, deep-chested and broad-shouldered negro stepped up to the king and laid a leopard-skin at his feet, while the people shouted and danced with delight at the success of their companion, for, as I have already stated, it is deemed a bold feat to attack and slay a leopard single-handed. While the commotion caused by this event was going on, I said to the trader, How comes it that Makaruru can speak English? He spent a couple of years on the coast, in the service of a missionary, and during that time attended the missionary school, where he picked up a smattering of English and a trifle of geography and arithmetic. But although a stout, sturdy hunter and an intelligent man, he was a lazy student, and gave the good missionary much trouble to hammer the little he knows into his thick skull. At last he grew tired of it, and returned to his tribe, but he brought his Bible with him, and I am told is very diligent in the study of it. His education has gained for him a great reputation as a fetish man, or doctor of mysteries, among his people. I used often to see him at school hammering away at ma, ma, ba, 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 and so on, amid a group of children. He used to sit beside the king. The king, said I, in surprise. I, the king of that district, became a Christian, and he and the queen, with one or two others of the royal household, used to attend school with the children every day, and their diligence in studying the ABC was beyond all praise. But they were terribly stupid. The children beat them easily, showing how true it is the saying that youth is the time to learn. The king was always booby, and Makaruru was always beside him. As this trader spoke, Makaruru came forward and shook hands with him in the English fashion. 
he was then introduced to us and expressed his willingness to become our interpreter in somewhat curious but quite comprehensible english as i looked at his intelligent good-natured countenance i could not help thinking that the traitor had underrated his intellectual powers he's a funny dog that makarooroo said peterkin as our interpreter hastened away to fetch his rusty old gun and spears for he meant to join our hunting expedition although he had only that moment arrived from a long and fatiguing chase do you think so said jack i don't quite agree with you i said to me he seems rather of a grave and quiet disposition oh ralph what a bat you are he was grave enough just now truly but did you not observe the twinkle in his eye when he spoke to us in english depend on it he's a funny dog there must be freemasonry then among funny dogs i retorted for jack and i don't perceive it is this our canoe inquired jack of the trader it is then let's jump in in a few seconds the river was crowded with a fleet of small canoes and we all paddled quickly up the stream which was sluggish at that part we did not intend to proceed more than a few miles by water as the place where game was expected was at some distance from the river i felt some regret at this for the trip up the river was to me most enchanting every yard we advanced new beauties of scenery were revealed to view the richness of the tropical vegetation seemed in this place to culminate it was so rank and gorgeous the day was fine too and all the strange-looking creatures ugly and beautiful large and small peculiar to those regions seemed to have resolved on a general peace in order to bask in the sunshine and enjoy the glorious weather man alone was bent on war and our track alas was marked with blood wherever we passed along i pondered much on this subject and wondered at the bloodthirsty spirit which seemed to be natural to man in all conditions and climes then i thought of the difficulty these poor africans have at times in procuring food the frequency with which they are reduced to almost a state of starvation and i ceased to wonder that they shot and speared everything that came in their way we proceeded up the left bank of the river keeping close into the shore in order to obtain the protection of the overhanging boughs and foliage for the sun soon began to grow hot and in the middle of the day became so intense that i sometimes feared that i or my companions would receive a sunstroke i confess that the subject of health often caused me great anxiety for although i knew that we were all old experienced travellers though young in years and had become in a great degree inured to hardships i feared that the deadly climate of central africa might prove too much for our european constitutions by the free use of quinine however and our careful attention to the rules of health as far as circumstances would permit we were fortunate enough to keep health and spirits in the whole course of our sojourn there for which when i thought of the hundreds of europeans who had perished on that deadly coast without even venturing into the interior i felt very thankful one of our chief delights to which i in a great deal attribute our uninterrupted health was bathing daily in the streams and ponds with which we fell in or on which we paddled during our travels on these occasions we were fain however to be exceeding careful in the selection of our bathing pool as crocodiles and alligators and i know not what other hideous animals were constantly on the lookout for prey and i make no doubt would have been very ready to try the flavour of a morsel of english food had we given them the chance on these occasions when we had made sure of our pool 
we were wont to paddle about in the cool refreshing stream and recall to mind the splendid dips we had had together six years before in the clear waters of the coral island since that time peterkin had learned to swim well which was not only a source of much satisfaction and gratification to himself now but he told me had been the means of preserving not only his own life on more than one occasion but the life of a little child which he had the good fortune to rescue from drowning when cruising off the island of madagascar peterkin used to speak very strongly when talking on this subject and i observed from the unusual seriousness of his manner that he felt deeply too ralph he said to me one day half the world is mad i am not sure that i might not say three-quarters of the world is mad and i am quite certain that all the ladies in the world are mad with the exception of the brown ladies of the south seas and a few rare specimens elsewhere they are all mad together in reference to the matter of swimming now that i have learned it nothing is so easy and any one who is not as blind as a rheumatic owl must see that nothing is more important for almost every one is subject to being pitched now and then into deep water and if he can't swim it's all up with him why every time an angler goes out to fish he runs the chance of slipping and being swept into a deep hole where if he cannot swim he is certain to be drowned and yet five strokes would save his life good swimming is by no means what is wanted swimming of any kind however poor is all that is desiderated every time a lady goes to have a row on a lake she is liable to be upset by the clumsiness of those who accompany her and although it may be close to shore if she cannot swim down she goes to the bottom and floating won't do some ladies delude themselves with the idea that floating is of great value in nine cases out of ten it is of no value at all for unless water be perfectly smooth and still a person cannot float so as to keep the waves from washing over the face in which case choking is the certain result there is no excuse for not learning to swim in most large cities there are swimming baths if the sea is not available a river is everywhere i tell you what it is ralph people who don't learn to swim are are i was going to say asses but that would be an insult to the much maligned long-eared animal and parents who don't teach their offspring to swim deserve to be drowned in buttermilk and i wish i saw no i don't quite wish i saw them all drowned in that way but i do wish that i could impress upon mankind over the length and breadth of this rotund word the great the immense the intense importance of boys and girls being taught to swim you make use of strong language said i quite a powerful orator added jack laughing bath exclaimed peterkin your reception of this grand truth is but a type of the manner in which it will be received by the pig-headed world what's the use of preaching common sense i'm a perfect donkey nay peterkin said jack i appreciate what you say and have no doubt whatever that your remarks if made public would create quite a revolution in the juvenile world and convert them speedily into aquatic animals did you ever think of sending your views on that subject to the times the times cried peterkin yes the times why not because said peterkin slowly i once sent a letter to that great but insolent periodical and what do you think it did can't tell i'm sure took no notice of it whatever said peterkin with a look of ineffable disgust but to the return from this digression i was much struck with the splendid contrast of colours that met my eye everywhere here 
the rich variety of greens in the different trees harmonized with the bright pink plums and scarlet berries and these latter were almost dimmed in their lustre by the bright plumage of the birds which i felt intense longing to procure many of them being quite new to me and i am certain totally unknown to naturalists while others i recognized with delight as belonging to several of the species of which i had read in ornithological works i tried hard to shoot several of these lovely creatures intending to stuff them but to my regret was unutterly able to hit them seeing this peterkin took pity on me and sitting down in the bow of our canoe picked off all the birds i pointed out to him as we passed with unerring precision most of them fell into the water and were easily secured while one or two toppled off the branches into the canoe several of them he shot on the wing a feat which filled even jack with surprise and so astounded the natives that they surrounded our canoe at last and gazed open-mouthed at my friend whom they evidently regarded as the greatest fetishman that had ever come among them he was obliged to stop at last and lay down his gun in order to make the natives cease from crowding round us and delaying our voyage a number of iguanas were observed on the branches of the trees that overhung the stream they dropped into the water as we approached but the natives succeeded in spearing a good many and i afterwards found that they considered them excellent food if i was charmed with the birds peterkin was no less delighted with the monkeys that chattered at us as we passed along i never saw a man laugh as he did that day he almost became hysterical so much was he tickled with their antics and the natives who have a keen sense of the ludicrous seemed quite to sympathize with his spirit although of course what amused him could not have similarly affected them seeing that they were used to monkeys from infancy there's something new exclaimed jack as we rounded a bend in the river and came in view of an open flat where it assumed something of the aspect of a pond or small lake he pointed to a flock of birds standing on a low rock which i instantly recognized to be pelicans surely said i pelicans are not new to you certainly not but if you look a little more attentively i think you will find material for your notebook jack was right i observed a very fine fish-hawk circling over the head of one of the pelicans its head and neck were white and its body was of a reddish chocolate colour just as we came in sight the pelican caught a fine fish which it stowed away safe in the pouch under its chin the sly hawk which had been watching for this immediately made its descent toward its victim making a considerable noise with its wings as it came down hearing this the pelican looked hastily up and supposing that a terrible and deadly assault was about to be made opened its mouth and screamed in terror this was just what the hawk wanted the open bill revealed the fish in the pouch down he swooped snatched it out and then soared away with its ill-gotten gains in his talons oh what a thief exclaimed peterkin and the pelican seems to take his loss in a remarkably philosophical manner observed jack to my surprise the great stupid bird instead of flying away as i had expected quietly resumed his fishing as if nothing had happened no doubt he was well pleased to find himself still alive and it is not improbable that the hawk made several more meals at the expense of his long-beaked friend after we had passed by we soon put him to flight however by landing near the spot where he stood this being the place where we were to quit our canoes and pass through the jungle on foot the hunters now prepared themselves for action for the recent tracks of elephants were seen on the bank of the stream and the natives said they could not be far off 
Jack and Peterkin were armed with immensely heavy rifles, which carried balls of the weight of six ounces. I carried my trusty, double-barreled prowling piece, which is of the largest size, and which I preferred to a rifle, because, not being a good shot, I resolved, on all occasions, to reserve my fire until we should come to close quarters with game, leaving my more expert comrades to take the longer shots. We had also two natives, one being our guide, Makaruru, who carried Jack and Peterkin's double-barreled guns as a reserve. These were loaded, of course, with ball. "'This looks something like business,' said Jack, as he leaned on his heavy rifle and looked at the natives, who were selecting their spears and otherwise making preparations. "'It does,' replied Peterkin. "'Are you loaded?' "'Aye, and I have just examined the caps to see that they are dry.' for it's not like grass shooting on the Scottish hills, this African hunting, depend upon it. A snapping cap might cost us our lives. Ralph, my boy, you must keep well in rear. I don't want to hurt your feelings, but it won't do to go in front when you cannot depend upon your nerves. I experienced a feeling of sadness not unmingled with shame at my friend said this, but I would not question the justness of his remark, and I knew well that he would not have made it at all, for his anxiety lest I should run recklessly into danger, which I might find myself, when too late, unable to cope with. I was careful, however, to conceal my feelings, as I replied with a smile, You are right, Jack. I shall act the part of his support, while you and Peterkin skirmish in advance. And be careful, said Peterkin, solemnly, that you don't fire into us by mistake. Somewhat of Peterkin's own spirit came over me as I replied, Indeed, I've been thinking of that, and I'm not sure that I can restrain myself when I see a chimpanzee monkey and a gorilla walking through the woods before me. I think we'd better take his gun from him, suggested Jack. At this moment the king gave the signal to advance, so we shouldered our weapons and joined him. As we walked rapidly along, Jack suggested that we should allow the natives to kill any elephants we might fall in with in their own way so as to observe how they managed it, rather than tried to push ourselves forward on this our first expedition. We all agreed to this, and shortly after we came to the place where elephants were known to frequent. Here great preparations had evidently been made for them. A space of more than a mile was partially enclosed by what might be termed a vine wall. The huge thorny creeping vines had been torn down from the trees and woven into a rude sort of network, through which it was almost impossible for any animal except an elephant to break. This was intended not to stop the elephant altogether, but to entangle him and retard him in his flight, until the hunters could kill him with their spears. The work, we were given to understand, was attended with considerable danger, for some of the natives were occasionally caught by the thorny vines when flying from the charge of the infuriated animal, and were instantly stamped to death by his ponderous feet. I felt a new and powerful excitement creep over me as I saw the natives extend themselves in a wide semicircle of nearly two miles in extent, and began to advance with loud shouts and cries, in order to drive the game towards the vines, and the flashing eyes and compressed lips of my two companions showed that they were similarly affected. We determined to keep together and follow close on that part of the line where the king was. "'You know be afraid?' said Makaruru, looking down at Peterkin, who, he evidently supposed, was neither mentally nor physically adapted for an African hunter. Peterkin was so tickled with the question that he suddenly began to tremble like an aspen leaf, 
and to chatter with his teeth and display all the symptoms of abject horror pointing over makarooroo's shoulder into the bush behind him he gasped the leopard the negro uttered a hideous yell and springing nearly his own height into the air darted behind a tree with the agility of a wildcat instantly peterkin resumed his composure and turning round with a look of cool surprise said what you're not afraid makarooroo the good-humoured fellow burst into a loud laugh on perceiving that the practical joke that had been passed on him and it was evident that the incident trifling though it was had suddenly raised his estimation of peter kidd to a very exalted pitch we now began to draw near to the enclosure and i was beginning to fear that our hunt was to prove unsuccessful that day a considerable quantity of small game had passed us alarmed by the cries of the natives but we purposefully withheld our fire although i saw that jack was sorely tempted once or twice when several beautiful gazelles and one or two wild pigs ran past within shot presently we heard a shrill trumpeting sound which peterkin who had hunted in the forest of ceylon told us in an excited voice was the cry of an elephant we hastened forward with our utmost speed when suddenly we were brought to a stand by hearing a tremendous roar close in front of us immediately after a large male lion bounded from among the bushes and with one stroke of his enormous paw struck down a negro who stood not twenty yards from us the terrible brute stood for an instant or two lashing his sides with his tail and glaring defiance it chanced that i happened to be nearest to him and that the position of the tangled underwood prevented my companions from taking good aim so without waiting for them being anxious to save if possible the life of the prostrate negro i fired both barrels into the lion's side giving utterance to another terrible roar he bounded away into the bush scattering the negroes who came in his way and made his escape to our great disappointment we found to our horror on going up to the fallen hunter that he was quite dead his skull had been literally smashed in as if it had received a blow from a sledge-hammer i cannot describe my feelings on beholding thus for the first time the king of beasts in all this savage majesty of strength and freedom coupled with the terrible death of a human being my brain was in a whirl of excitement i scarcely knew what i was doing but i had no time to think for almost immediately after firing the shots at the lion two elephants came crashing through the bushes one was between ten and eleven feet high the other could not have been less than twelve feet i had never seen anything like this in the menageries of england and their appearance as they burst suddenly on my vision was something absolutely appalling those who have only seen the comparatively small and sluggish animals that are wont to ring their bells to attract attention and to feed on gingerbread nuts from the hands of little boys can form no idea of the terrible appearance of the gigantic monsters of africa as they go tearing in mad fury through the forests with their enormous ears and tails and trunks erect their ponderous tusks glistening in the sunshine and their wicked little eyes flashing like balls of fire as they knock down rend asunder and overturn all that comes in their way the two that now approached us in full career were flying before a crowd of negroes who had already fixed a number of spears in their sides from which the blood was flowing copiously to say that the bushes went down before them like grass would not give a correct idea of the ponderous rush of these creatures trees of three and four inches of diameter were run against and snapped off like twigs without proving in any degree obstructive by this time the natives had crowded in on all sides and as the elephants approached the place where we stood a perfect cloud of spears and javelins descended on their devoted sides i observed that many of the active natives had leapt up into the trees and discharged their spears from above 
while others crouching from behind fallen trees or bushes threw them from below so that in a few seconds dozens of spears entered their bodies at every conceivable angle and they appeared as if suddenly transformed into monstrous porcupines or hedgehogs there was something almost ludicrous in this but the magnitude and aspect of the animals were too terrible and our danger was too imminent to permit anything like comic ideas to enter our brains i observed too that the natives were perfectly wild with excitement their black faces worked convulsively and their white eyes and teeth glittered as they leapt and darted about in a state of almost perfect nudity so that their aspect was quite demoniacal the suddenness and violence of the attack made near to us had the effect of turning the elephants aside and the next instant they were tearing and wrenching themselves through the meshes of the tough and thorny vines the natives closed in with wild cries and with redoubled energy nothing surprised me so much as to observe the incredible number of spears that were sticking all over these creatures and the amount of blood they lost without any apparent diminution of strength resulting it seemed as if no human power could kill them and at that moment i almost doubted peterkin's assertion that he had while in ceylon actually killed elephants with a single ball while jack and peterkin and i were gazing in deep interest and surprise at the curious struggle going on before us and holding ourselves in readiness to act should there be any chance of our game escaping the larger of the two elephants succeeded in disentangling himself by backing out of the snare he then wheeled round and charged straight at king jabai who stood close to us with incredible fury the beast as it came on with the bristling spears all over it the blood spurting from its innumerable wounds and trumpeting shrill with wage seemed to me like some huge unearthly phantom it was with difficulty i could believe the whole scene other than a hideous dream jambai launched his javelin into the animal's chest and then turned and fled the other natives also darted and scattered hither and thither so that the elephant could not make up his mind on which of its enemies to wreak its vengeance we too turned and took to our heels at once with right good will all at once i heard jack utter a wild shout or yell very unlike to anything i had ever heard from him before i looked back and saw that his foot had gotten entangled in a thorny shrub and that the elephant was making at him to this day i have never been able to account for the remarkable condition of mind and body that ensued on this occasion instead of being paralyzed as i had been when peter kane was in immediate danger all sense of fear or hesitancy seemed to banish on thine instant i felt my nerves and muscles strung as it were and rendered firm as a rock and with calm deliberation yet with the utmost rapidity of which i was capable i turned round sprang between jack and the enraged beast and presented my piece at his head right in the centre of his forehead gasped jack as he endeavoured to wrench his foot from the entanglement at that moment i observed peterkin leap to my side the next instant the report of both our guns rang through the woods the elephant bounded completely over Jack, as Peterkin and I leaped to either side to let it pass, and fell to the ground with such violence that a tree about six inches thick, against which it struck, went down before it like a willow wand. We immediately assisted Jack to extricate himself, but we had no time to congratulate ourselves on our narrow escape, for mingled shouts and yells from the men in the bushes ahead apprised us that some new danger menaced them in that direction reloading as fast as we could we hastened forward and soon gained the new scene of battle here stood the other elephant trying to break down a small tree up which king jambai had climbed partly for safety and partly in order to dart a javelin down on the brute as it passed 
this was a common custom of the natives but the king who was a bold reckless man had neglected to take the very necessary precautions of selecting a strong tree the elephant seemed actually to have observed this for instead of passing on it suddenly rushed headlong against the tree and began to break it down when we came up the beast was heaving and straining with all its might the stout tree was cracking and rending fearfully so that the king could scarcely retain his position on it the natives were plying their spears with the utmost vigour but although mortally wounded it was evident that in a few more seconds the elephant would succeed in throwing down the tree and trample the king to death peterkin instantly sprang forward but jack laid his hand on his shoulder it's my turn this time lad he cried and leaping towards the monster he placed the muzzle of his rifle close to its shoulder and sent a six-ounce ball right through to its heart the effect was instantaneous the elephant fell to the ground a mountain of dead flesh the delight of the negroes at this happy termination of the battle was excessive they leapt and danced and laughed like insane men and we had much ado to prevent them seizing us in their arms and rubbing noses with us as we had not commenced the hunt until well on in the day evening was now closing in so the king gave orders to encamp on a dry rising ground not far distant where the jungle was less dense and thither we all repaired the natives bringing in all the game and cutting up the elephant in a very short space of time your shot was not such a bad one this time ralph observed peterkin as we three stood looking at the large elephant which the natives were coming up there they are just above the proboscis but let me warn you never again to venture on such a foolhardy thing as to fire in the face of a charging elephant unless you are a dead shot thank you peterkin for your advice which however i will not take when a comrade's life may depend on my doing so i give you full credit for the excellence of your intention rejoined my friend but if jack's life had depended on those two shots from your double barrel he would have been but a dead man now there is only one vulnerable spot in the front of an elephant's head that is exactly in the centre of the forehead the spot is not bigger than a saucer and the bone is comparatively thin there if you cannot make sure of hitting that you simply face certain death i would not have tried it on any account whatever had i not seen that both you and jack would have been killed had i not done so on examination we found that the heavy ball from peterkin's rifle had indeed penetrated the exact spot referred to and had been the means of killing the elephant while my two bullets were found embedded in the bone the tusks of this animal were magnificent i do not know what their exact weight was not having the means wherewith to weigh them they were probably worth a considerable sum of money in the british market of course we did not lay claim to any of the part of the spoil of that day with the exception of a few of the beautiful birds shot on the voyage up the river which were of no value to the natives although priceless to me alas when i came to examine them next morning i found that those destructive creatures the white ants had totally destroyed the greater part of them and the few that were worth stuffing were very much damaged experience is a good though sometimes a severe teacher never again did i after that put off the stuffing of any valuable creature till the next day i always stuffed it in the evening of the day on which it was killed and thus although the practice cost me many a sleepless night i preserved and ultimately brought home many specimens of rare and beautiful birds and beasts which would otherwise have been destroyed by those rapacious insects that night the scene of our camp was indescribably romantic and wild numerous huge fires were lighted 
and round these the negroes circled and cooked elephant and venison steaks while they talked over the events of the day or recounted the adventures of former hunts with noisy volubility and gesticulation the negro has a particular love for a fire the nights in his warm climate are chill to him though not so to europeans and he luxuriates in the heat of a fire as a cat does in the rays of the sun the warm blaze seems to draw out his whole soul and cause his eyes to sparkle with delight a good supper and a warm fire render him almost perfectly happy there is but one thing wanting to render him supremely so and that is a pipe no doubt under similar circumstances the white man also is in a state of enviable felicity but he does not show his joy like the negro who seems to forget his cares and sorrows the miseries which his gross superstitions entail on him the frequency with which he is exposed to sudden destruction everything in short is forgotten save the present and he enjoys himself with unmitigated fervour it really did my heart good as i sat with my comrades beside our fire and looked around me on their happy faces which were rendered still happier by the gift from us of a small quantity of tobacco with which we had taken care to provide ourselves for this very purpose i could scarcely believe that the jovial kindly hardy fellows were the very men who are well known to be such cruel bloodthirsty fiends under the influence of their dreadful superstitions and who but a few hours before had been darting through the woods besmeared with blood and yelling like maniacs or demons in fact the whole scene before me and the day's proceedings seemed to me at that time like a vivid dream instead of a reality moreover after i lay down the reality became a dream and i spent that night as i had spent the day shooting gazelles lions wild pigs and elephants in imagination End of chapter five recording by adele de Pinurolis.